Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against the house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us to hear your words as if we were there on the mountain. Lord, that sermon that you preached on the mount, I pray, Lord, that you would help us today to see you, to hear you, and to feel the impact of your words, just like those people who listened were impacted. God, I open my heart. God, I open my mind. I open my ears and my eyes. And I say, please show me, Lord. Please speak to me. Please help me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Friends, we're doing a sermon series on the life of Jesus, and we're about a year and a half into his ministry, and he's gone up a mountain to pray. He's come down, he's chosen his disciples, and he's healed a whole lot of people. And then he started preaching a sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, and we've been going through that for a few weeks. And at the end of that, he gave this little summary, which I've just read to you, where he basically said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? In other words, I can say Lord, Lord, but that doesn't mean that he's Lord, Lord. Amen? I can sing in church, Lord, Lord, Lord. That doesn't mean he is Lord. Lord means boss. <laughs> That's all it means. And he said, the man who hears my words and does them is like a man who builds a house digging deep onto a rock, a foundation of rock, which cannot be shaken. But those who hear my words and don't do them are like somebody who I would have, if I was writing this on my own without being inspired by the Lord, I would have said someone who doesn't build a house. But Jesus said, no, it's someone who builds a house, but he's building on something other than rock. And so the message for you and I is that you and I are building a house. You are building a house. Did you know that? You are a builder. You say, no, I'm not. I'm a nurse. I'm a mum. I'm an accountant. I'm a lawyer. No, you're a builder. Jesus says, you are building a house. You say, I didn't know I was building a house. What does my house look like? Well, it looks like the decisions you make. It looks like how you spend your time, your money, your energy. It looks like the words you say. It looks like the relationships you have. From God's perspective, He looks and He sees a house. But the interesting thing is that the house itself, while it's reasonably important, what's more important is the foundation that it's built on. And what this tells me, please hear me now, is that two people can live lives that are very, very similar to each other. They can build houses that look quite similar. They come to church. They dress similarly. They're similar age and they look kind of the same, they act the same, they say similar words, but one of them is building on a foundation that is God's Word, and the other one is building on a foundation that is something else. And I just want to share today, I've got a, a very much a, 
a deep pastoral heart today about this, this sermon and about this illustration that Jesus gave. I've been counseling people for many years, uh, over 20 years, and I've had people come in to see me with all sorts of issues in their lives and problems, and one of the main themes that comes out again and again is this. I've been serving the Lord. I thought I was doing God's will. I made this decision and this decision, and I thought God told me to. And now, look what's happened. I'm so discouraged. I'm so sad, depressed, disillusioned. There was a book written recently called Who Moved My Cheese? And it was about a little mouse who he knew where to go to get his cheese and then one day somebody had moved his cheese and his whole world was shaken and he didn't know what was going on because the things he would built his life on and assumed were right, suddenly everything was changed and he said, who moved my cheese? What's going on? And I speak to Christians often, often, usually in their kind of between 35 and 50 is when it hits. They say, you know what? I was serving the Lord with zeal and I did this and I did this and this pastor and this Christian and this person prophesied and I heard this word and this is what I did and look what's happened. And this little parable of Jesus, this is the first parable we've come across in the Gospels. He says this, he says if you build your life, if you make the decisions and the plans and the, the actions and the relationships and all those things that we do on a daily basis without even really realizing it, he said if you do those based on a foundation of God's words, of His words, then when the storms come, He doesn't say if storms come, storms will come. He says when the storms come, that will stand. I want to build my life that will stand when the storms come. Don't you? You know, it's easy to worship and serve the Lord when everything's going well, isn't it? When you're in church and the music's great, and everyone's in tune and in time, and everyone around you is fired up, and man, it's just easy. God, I love you. It's wonderful. But as soon as hardship comes, something doesn't go like we thought it would. Somebody attacks us. Somebody's horrible to us. Somebody persecutes us or judges us because of our Christian faith, or something doesn't work out the way it should. That's a storm. Or it may get even worse. Divorce. Bankruptcy, health problems, a death in the family or something in my own life. Something, these storms come. And suddenly I think, what's going on? And I must say, I'm not saying this out of pride, but I've learned now after many trials and many times of going through storms to say, Lord, thank you for this storm because it's showing me what I built my life on. <laughs> If my life collapses when the storm comes, I'm grateful because I've got time still before I die to build on a, the proper foundation. Hallelujah, I've got a chance. Rather that than the storm of the final judgment day is the one that shows my foundation, and then it's too late. We lived in Durban, which is a, a, a town on the coast of South Africa, and there was a, a massive storm and big tidal waves came in the one year when we were there, and people had built amazing, beautiful houses right on the coast, right on the beach. 
beautiful view over the sea. And it was just, these houses were worth multiplied millions. They were fantastic houses. And we went for a walk, and we saw one after the other had just collapsed into the sand when these big tides came, because they just washed away the foundation. And the whole house was just gone. Friend, please, as a, as a pastor, I just want to say to you, think about what I'm saying today. What are you building your life on? Is it on God's words? Or... Is it on something else? And I'm going to try and unpack it a little bit for you today. The first question that many people ask, especially a man called Dan Brown. Has anyone heard of Dan Brown? He's an author, Da Vinci Code, I think he wrote, and a few others. He says, how do we know the Bible is the Bible? There were lots of letters and books floating around. And how do we know that the ones that the early church chose were the right ones. How do we know this is the Bible that we can trust? I want to build my life on God's words. How do I know what God's words are? Maybe it's the gospel of Thomas or Judas, all these different things that these people say. And it, it, maybe it was just this kind of conspiracy by the church leaders. We want to keep people controlled, so we're just going to give them some of the letters and not some of the others. And it's not really God's Word. It's just some people's inventions of God's Word. Has anyone ever thought that? You too? I know. Okay, nobody put their hands up. But I know a few of us have thought that. I know when that book came out, quite a few people were worried about it. And in fact, I think it was one of the channels, the History Channel or National Geographic on TV, did a, quite a good documentary where they went through all of those um, things that Dan Brown had said and they went through and showed whether or not they were true and most of them were not true. But I just want to talk about Scripture. Jesus said, If you build your life on my words, when storms come, your life will be okay. I want to know that I can build on God's words. And I want to know what God's words are. Is it just the little bits in red in the Gospels? Is that what he was talking about? When he said, if you build your life on my words, was he just saying just the bits in red? You know those little sayings of Christ are in red? Is that what he was saying? Was he including the Old Testament? Was he including the New Testament? Which bits of the New Testament? Maybe it's just Peter and John's writings, but not Paul's and, and Apollos'. Which bits? How do I know? Is it important? 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 says, All scripture, that word scripture refers to the writings that we trust, the, the Bible writings. It says all scripture is God-breathed. God-breathed. That's what that word means. Inspired by God. God-breathed. In other words, little old John uh, on the island of Patmos is writing there, and he's writing his own words, but God is breathing through him and making those words his words. It says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be fully equipped, thoroughly equipped, complete for every good work. So what is scripture? What is scripture? We know that the Old Testament was considered Scripture. Jesus quoted from it many times 
and many of the other New Testament writers quoted from just about every book in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is considered God-breathed words. We know that. About 40 AD, so Jesus has been dead and risen and gone up to heaven for about 10 years, people started writing down what Jesus had done. And the Gospel of Mark was the first that was written down and officially recognized as a record of what Jesus had done and said in his life. That was done within between 40 and 50 AD, very soon after Jesus had risen again. And many people who knew Jesus were still alive at that time and could say, yes, that's right. Yes, that's exactly what he said. Yes. So the Gospel of Mark was the first one. Then the other three were written in the next 20 years or so, Luke, John, and Matthew. And those four were accepted as the gospel records of, of what Jesus had done and said. There were others floating around. The gospel of Thomas was floating around, and many others. And you know, Dan Brown and others in their books say, oh, maybe we should trust the, the gospel of Thomas. The reason it's not accepted is because most of it is gibberish. Say, so, Greg, is that true? Can I read you something from the gospel of Thomas? And most of it is like this. This is what it says. Jesus said, This heaven will pass away, and the one above it will pass away. The dead are not alive. The living will not die. In the days when you consumed what is dead, you made it what is alive. When you came to dwell in the light, what will you do? On the day when you were one, you became two. But when you became two, what will you do? That's the Gospel of Thomas, Parag saying 11, in case you want to look it up. Let me read you another one. This is saying 7. Jesus said, Blessed is the lion which the man shall eat, and the lion become man. And cursed is the man whom the lion shall eat, and the lion become man. Wow. Does that sound like a foundation that you can build your life on? I'll read you one more. Simon Peter said to them, this is the Gospel of Thomas, saying 114. Simon Peter said to them, Let Mary go forth from among us, for women are not worthy of the life. Jesus said, Behold, I shall lead her, that I may make her a male, in order that she also may become like a living spirit, like you males. For every woman who makes herself a male shall enter the kingdom of heaven. In the first few years after Jesus rose again, the apostles, it says in Acts chapter 2, the disciples devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And again and again in the New Testament, Paul and John and Peter say, we were eyewitnesses and what Jesus said to us, we pass on to you. And very soon, by about 100, 110, 130, 140 A.D., all the churches spread out over a vast geographical area around the world all accepted the same books, 27 books that we have as our New Testament. It wasn't some pope or council or leader somewhere in some ivory tower who said, these are the books. The churches all agreed. They didn't have internet and email and communication. They just knew the Holy Spirit said, these are the 27 that you trust. 
Later, they had councils where all the different church leaders got together and they said, which books are you using? Which ones are you using? Oh, we're all using the same 27. Okay, let's make that the canon. It was obvious to them. It was plain. The Bible books are a foundation. And the spirit within them said, yes, you can trust this. The others are just gibberish. In 2 Peter 3, verse 16, this is Peter writing to some churches, and he's talking about Paul's letters. So Peter, the great apostle, is talking about Paul. And he says this. Sorry, I've started my quote in verse 16. I should have started in verse 15. Let me just look it up for you. 2 Peter 3, verse 15. He says, Consider the long-suffering of our Lord, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written you. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things that are hard to understand, which, are, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they also do the rest of the scriptures. I want you to just notice what Peter said there. He said, Paul's writings are difficult to understand, and some people twist them just as they do the other scriptures. Peter was saying that Paul's writings were scripture. That's huge. That's huge. It wasn't some council somewhere in faraway land hundreds of years later. Peter said these letters of Paul's are scripture. If anyone wants to know more, I can show you all the research and all the, all the background about this. But friends, I want you to understand, this Bible, it's not a mistake. It's not a human invention. The fact that the Holy Spirit guided Christians of all different na nations, races, nationalities, languages, but he guided them all to use the same 27 books. It wasn't one man's decision. The Spirit guided the churches all over the world to say, this is my scripture. And it was set in stone and they said, this is it. That's how we know this is God's word. If it was one man's decision or one council's decision, I would say maybe it's not God's word. This is God's word. This is God's word. You can trust it. I just want to talk about some other things that we trust in. I've had friends who said, you know, the Lord led me to marry so-and-so. The Lord led me to sell everything and go to Nicaragua. The Lord led me to do this. The Lord led me to do that. And sometimes people say that when they don't want to be honest enough and just say, I just want to. They just say, oh, the Lord led me. What's the deal with that? Is that Jesus' words? You know when he said, if you build your life on my words, when the storms come, it will be strong. Is that what he's talking about? If I'm praying one day and I get a vision... Or I don't get a vision. I just get a feeling or I hear a voice and God says this or that or go and do this or go and do that or this is true or that is true. Is that 
Is that the foundation that I can build my life on? Is it? This is important for us. I think it's important. <laughs> Why is it important? It's only important if you really intend to build your life on this. If you don't, well then who cares? The Bible, a, 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 a prophecy, a, a vision, they're all meaningless because I don't really intend to build my life on them. But if I really intend to build my life, to make my decisions, to make this the highest priority in my life, to obey this word and to build my life on it, then I must know what is it? What is God's word? What must I build my life on? Amen? I must know. I've got to be sure. Paul's writing about prophecy in 1 Corinthians 13 and 14. The Corinthian church was the most charismatic church in the early days. They had prophecies and tongues and miracles and just their meetings were incredible. They'd get together and everyone would just be prophesying and talking in tongues all the time. It was just amazing. And Paul says, earnestly desire these things, the spiritual gifts, prophecy and tongues, especially prophecy. He says, eagerly desire them, want these things. But then he says some amazing things. He says, where there are prophecies, this is 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8, where there are prophecies, they will fail. Does that sound like something you can build your foundation on? Listen to this. He says, for we know in part, and we prophesy in part. For we see now as in a mirror dimly, but one day we will see face to face. That's not something that you can build your life on. Can I give you an illustration of this? A foundation is a strong rock that you build your house on. But then, on top of that, you use bricks and cement and mortar. There's many people in this congregation who are better builders than me. You can tell me better than this. But I know you use different things to build. And as long as the foundation's strong, then you've got choices on what you're going to put on top and what materials you're going to use, and then you've got choices about what kind of plaster am I going to use, what color will the walls be, what surface, what materials will I use for the roofing, and, the, and then you've got even more. You've got the furnishings and the pictures and, the, and the, the way that the house looks, the interior decor of the house. And then you've got little things, little ornaments that you can put in the house. Why am I saying all this? Because in your life, some things must be firm and solid that you build on. Other things, you can add on to that and they're nice to have. It's great to have decor in your house. And it's great to have ornaments and different types of surfaces and colors and things. They're great. But the foundation must be strong for that house to stand. Why am I saying this? Friends, God's word in scripture is the foundation God wants us to have prophecies, visions, um, leading of the Spirit, all of this stuff. He wants it, but it's not the foundation. It's other stuff you add on top. Are you getting this? Imagine you had a house that was just a foundation with nothing on top. It wouldn't really be a house. We need all these other things. We need to come to church and hear, be led by the Spirit and hear people say, this is what the Lord says and all that. We need all that. But the foundation must be in place first. When Paul said, eagerly desire prophecy, he was assuming that we already had a foundation of God's word in place. How many, I wonder, of us have gone to the beach and we've made sandcastles? 
There's two things that we do with buckets and spades when we go to the beach, especially when my kids were smaller. We used to bury people. Did you ever do that? So you dig a hole and you bury someone until just their head's showing. And then my sons did this weird thing where one boy's head was above the sand and the other boy stood and looked like he was picking up the head and it looked really weird in photos. And we got some really good photos of my boys picking up each other's heads off the floor. We used to bury people in the sand and we used to make sandcastles. And the problem comes for sandcastles where you try to build a sandcastle on top of someone who's buried because when they move, the sandcastle falls. How many Christians... Oh, I just wish I could get this. The, the hours of pain I've seen in people's lives because they've built on something that is themselves. Instead of a foundation of God's Word, they've said, I'm going to build my life on myself. You say, Greg, what are you talking about yourself? Well, I had a feeling. I thought... It was my opinion, or my family always used to say, or my culture says, or whatever it is. But basically, I am the filter of what's true. Or what about this? I believe most of the Bible, but I don't like 3 John. <laughs> you know what you're doing there? You are the foundation, not the Bible. Because it's going through the filter of you. You are judging what is true and what is not. You're building on yourself. You're saying, I can decide whether this is true or not. You know, in culture now, in the modern day, there's a lot going on where people are saying, we need to reinterpret the Bible for the current times. We need to, we need to take the Bible, but then contextualize it and put it into our culture. And that verse and that way that God says this and that judgment, that just doesn't apply anymore. It's no longer relevant. And you say, why do you think that? And they say, well, I just feel it's not right. When the Bible says this, I just feel that can't be true. Friend, you're building on yourself. You're building a sandcastle on your own buried body. And when you move, that sandcastle will fall. I, I can't stress this strongly enough, Christians. The Bible is the Bible. It's not up to you or me to decide whether it's true. It's God's Word. Who do we think we are? That we, little old us, can interpret which bits of the Bible are true. How proud and arrogant are we? That we think we are the final arbiter of what, what is right and what is wrong. It's God's Word we must build on. No matter what culture or society whether it's unpopular, whatever the latest trends are, it's His Word. Why am I saying this? Because if you build your life on something that is just your own feelings or what popular culture says, I promise you when the storm comes, your life will unravel. And then you'll probably come and see a pastor like me and you'll say, God did this to me. And God says, I didn't. I gave you my Word. Trust my Word. Let me read you a couple more verses that will just help you in this. Colossians 2 verse 18. This is from the New American Standard Bible. It says, Let no one defraud you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels 
taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his own fleshly mind. Let me read that to you again. Let no one defraud you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. I'm going to just press into this for a little bit, just to try and make my point here. Imagine somebody stood up here in church on Sunday. Okay, I want you to picture the scene. Brother, whatever his name is, Bob, gets up and he's crying. Oh, brothers and sisters, something amazing has just happened in my life. I had a vision. Suddenly our ears prick up. Oh, the Lord has just shown something so... He's changed everything, I think. Oh. He, show, he spoke to me, brothers and sisters. He appeared to me, and I had a hot fire go up and down my body. And goosebumps. And I was healed at the same time. And I heard a music. And we were like, whoa. And he says, and if what I'm saying is true, you'll feel the tingling right now yourself. And you're going, whoa, whoa. He says, I saw the truth. What we've always thought was true is not true. God told me this is true. And he gives you something. Friends, I'm saying this in love. 99% of us would put more weight on that than on someone reading a verse from the Bible. Am I right? There's a problem there. (laughs) There's a problem there. I'm not saying don't use furnishings and ornaments and plaster and interior decor. I'm not saying don't use those. I'm saying put them in their correct place. The Bible first, then those things. If you haven't got the Bible, those things will cause your life to fall apart. Because you'll make decisions on something that was never intended to be a foundation. It was intended to be an add-on to the foundation. When you get the foundation right, those add-ons are wonderful things. We love them. We need them. They give us power. They make the house fantastic. If you don't have the foundation, those things will cause your life to fall apart. Is that okay? So, what are we going to do about this practically? Number one, we're going to decide. We're going to decide that God's word is first. Number two, we're going to be hungry for His Word. We're going to love it. We're going to need it. We're going to look for it, desire it, seek it. Say, God, show me more of Your Word because I need to build my life on something good. (laughs) I need to build my life on the correct truth, not just what I thought was true. I don't want to build a sandcastle on me. And then number three, we need to act and obey whenever God's God's Word comes. You know, Jesus, in, in the passage in Luke, which I read earlier, He said, Shall I show you what a man is like who hears my words and obeys them? He says, he is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built on the sand. In other words, he heard, but he did nothing. Therefore, he's building on the sand. Every time I hear God's word, 
I need to do something in order for that to become a foundation. You say, Greg, that's a leap. Listen to this. He who built on the sand is like he who heard and did nothing. So he heard. But he did nothing. And because of that, he's building on something else in his life. But if I hear and I act on what I hear, suddenly I'm making that part of the foundation of my life. I'm going to close. I know I've gone long, but I'm just going to close with a testimony. I was reading the Bible and I was listening to sermons and I was living my Christian life and it was fine and it was good. And suddenly, through various methods, reading and hearing and things, a couple of verses just popped out to me. I found three or four verses in the Bible that changed my life dramatically. One was 2 Peter 1 verse 3 and 4, which says, God has given us his very great and precious promises by which we can partake of the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world. And that little phrase, great and precious promises, jumped out at me. And then there was Numbers 23, verse 19, where it says, God is not a man that he should lie, or the son of man that he should change his mind. Has he spoken and he will not do it? And suddenly I realized God speaks promises and he wants me to take him at his word. And I thought, wow, there might be promises that I haven't even thought of. And then... I found a verse in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20, which says, No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ Jesus. And the amen is spoken through us to the glory of God. And I read that and I thought, what? No matter how many promises God has made, in Christ they are yes? And I can say amen and the glory of God will come through my life? So I can find promises in God's word... And they are yes for me? And then the last verse that just nailed it for me was Hebrews 4, verse 1 and 2, where it talks about the Israelites not going into the promised land, even though God had given it to them, the promised land, the promises of God. And it says, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us be careful lest any of you fall short of coming into it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us just as it was to them, but the word that they heard did not profit them because they did not mix it with faith. And I read that and it all clicked into place in my mind. God has given promises. They are yes. They're great and precious. He's not a liar. But many people have heard the promises, but because they didn't mix it with faith, they never got the promised land. Friends, that changed my life. Four verses changed my life. It turned my life upside down, roundabout. My whole attitude to God was changed. My relationship with God, my passion, my purpose, my zeal, my excitement. I was reading the Bible like a miner looking for nuggets of gold. Promises from God. Yes, Lord, I take this one by faith. Yes, I take that one. I don't want to be like the Jews who didn't go into the promised land because they didn't take... I'm taking that one. I'm taking... Four verses. If I hadn't found those four verses, I would be a 40, 50% Christian instead of 100% Christian. I was just puttering along slowly and my Christian life just took a leap. And I want to say that that is not an isolated incident. There have been many times in my life where I've come across a verse in the Bible 
and it has changed my life. Transformed my life. Radically revolutionized my life. Friends, this is so wonderful. Please build your life on this. Please. Build your life on this. I'm not saying don't get prophecies and dreams and visions and being led by the Spirit and other people's opinions. Get all those, but only put them on as additions to the foundation. Get this first. Build your life. Make decisions on this. All that other stuff comes second. If you do this, when the storms come, and they will come, your life will be okay. If you don't, and the storms come and your life unravels, say, thank you, God, that I can now rebuild on this thing, on the correct foundation. This will change your life. If you do this, it will change your Christian life forever.